Hello, and welcome to Tell Us Your Story, a new podcast from the Institute of Public Affairs. I'm Kian Hussey, Research Fellow at the IPA and the host of this show. In this series, I talk to Australian entrepreneurs to hear their story. We'll discuss what inspired them to start their own business and explore the insights and advice they want to share with enterprising young Australians who wish to create their own opportunities and success. Entrepreneurship and risk-taking are central to the Australian way of life. Despite this, Australians are increasingly seeking the comfort of employment over what's seen as the risky and uncertain path of business creation. But entrepreneurs are needed now more than ever. Don't let your dreams be dreams. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated many structural issues, especially for younger Australians who've been at a disadvantage since the global financial crisis. Our future prosperity, our democracy and our very way of life depend on enterprising and innovative Australians. It's vital that we unlock their potential. Today I'm talking to Jim Penman, founder and CEO of Jim's Group. Jim founded Jim's Mowing in 1982 and since it has grown to be the largest franchise chain in Australia and the best known lawn mowing company in the world. His name has been used for more than 50 divisions of Jim's Group. I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the Jim's brand and here's the man behind the mower. Jim, thanks for joining me on Tell Us Your Story. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm great. Good to hear. So I've read that you started Jim's Mowing with an investment of, of around $20. Um, it, it sounds pretty incredible, even by today's standards, when startup costs can be very small. You know, just someone sitting in their bedroom with a laptop can start a business. In the 1980s, um, that must have been quite impressive. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, about how and why you started the company? Well, the point, it wasn't really $24 I started with. What I started with was experience of mowing lawns from previous years as a student. So I knew what I was doing. I actually had a trailer uh, mower and brush cutter. And the mower and brush cutter were pretty useless. They actually gave up the ghost within a fortnight. But, but the crucial thing I had was I knew what I was doing. I wasn't really starting from scratch. And in fact, I've been gardening since I was eight years old, except for a period about three years in my late teens. I've never not had a, a gardening or mowing business of some kind. So, so it's about bringing the expertise to it, not just, mm. not just the money that you can invest. Yeah, $24 was, was basically leaflets. That, that was what did it. Oh, there you go. And, and obviously, you're still involved in the day-to-day running of, of the business. Mm. Um, can you talk about the experience that you've had going from, you know, starting out mowing people's lawns to managing such a large national business? Well, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a rough ride. I'm, I'm, I'm in no sense a natural business owner. I have many failings and faults, you might say, that you've had to struggle against. I mean, I've got very poor personal skills. My wife says that I'm um, mild Asperger's, so I don't, I don't read people's emotions very well. Um, so that wasn't to make it difficult. And I was particularly bad at things like sales in the early days. because I just didn't know how to feel very uncomfortable with the sales process when you're trying to sell lawn mowing rounds. And you know, I don't know. I, I have a lot of a lot of really big faults. I'm often amazed that I've even succeeded at the extent that I have with all the things I've done wrong. Yeah. Well. Well, that was something I was going to ask you earlier. You're, you're obviously very successful, um, but but I was going to ask if you'd say you're a born entrepreneur, and by the sounds, it's not. Um, no, not at all. Not at all. Look, there's certain. I have got certain aspects of my temperament which are. Uh, are very helpful. One of them is that I am very, very emotionally committed to customers, which is my own customers in terms of people who get their lawns mowed and so forth, but also to my franchisees who I regard as my primary customers. So that's not a, a rational, sensible thing. I've often done things in my in my business career that 
that were against my own personal interest, but I just emotionally driven to look after customers. And then in the end found that was the best choice anyway. Um, so, and the, I'm also, I'm very self-critical. Um, one of the biggest differences we find in, in leading to success is people who are successful tend to look at what they do and say, how can I do this better? And I ask myself the question every day of my life, every day, and I have done so for the past half century, whereas some people will simply look at what goes wrong and say, okay, who's at fault? Well, it's not me, so it's somebody else. And they blame the client or the, the system or the franchisor or the market or whatever, and they don't look at what they need to do. The third thing about it is that I'm very, very creative. I have an extremely unorthodox way of thinking about things. I'll, I'll go into, a, into an area that, and I'll just I'll come up with a, a solution which is different to anybody else's. So those, those are my plus, but there's major minuses too. Kind of building on that, um, do you think that you can teach people then how to be entrepreneurial? Um, you, like some of those things you mentioned there, it sounds like, you know, it's kind of part of your character, but other things, um, you know, can, can you teach people over time how to accept responsibility or, or um, you know, if something goes wrong, look to themselves before they look to someone else? Um, mm. do, do you think some of that stuff is more innate or, or can you teach it to people? Um, you, you can definitely learn these things and you can strengthen it. And you see that in, in the gym's culture. We had a, um, we had a, conference franchise or conference in queensland many years back and somebody came over from the uk a guy called brian duckett who'd been involved in franchising for decades and this guy knew all kinds of different systems and he came to our and he talked to the franchisors at the, at the conference and he said i've never seen anything like it in all my years of franchising which is the culture that you guys have which is overwhelmingly a culture of really really strong concern for franchisee welfare now, that is my attitude. And admittedly, to a certain extent, I probably tend to attract people who have that view. But also, there's a process of indoctrination that goes on within gyms. You know, I get up and, and in my talks, and I will talk during training to franchisees and to franchisors, and it's always hitting the ethos, the value, looking after franchisees, number one, their concern is the most. Think about them first, and also towards clients. And that that does tend to come around, and I'm I'm quite proud of that. It, it really is something you can learn. And and so, do you think, in terms of the characteristics, the essential characteristics of an entrepreneur or a business person, would would you rank that as number one? Kind of your concern for your clients, or your you know your franchisees, or the people you're working with? Very high, very high. And the other thing, as I said, is to be endlessly self-critical look at what you do that is characteristic you'll talk to people who are phenomenally successful like like Haydar Hussain who runs our clean division who is, is one of the greatest people you could you could imagine and I have to say he runs cleaning better than I do mowing he's he's an extraordinary guy when he came to us he was a cleaner he was actually cleaning toilets and pushing them off around the floor and he bought a franchise and then he bought a regional franchise and became the head of the clean division and he's a multi multi multi-millionaire um, but he's the most humble guy you could imagine because when you talk to him, he's always, always looking for ideas to do better. He's, he's the most humble, self-effacing guy that you could imagine and, and he, he's always learning. And I, I, I love him. I really do. He's such a fantastic guy. And, and I, learn, I learn, well, I'd say I learn more from him than he does from me. Yeah. And, and I'm interested in um, what you think some of the biggest challenges have been um, with Jim's group and Jim's mowing um, and, and what, 
you know, what were the challenges when you first started out and, and what are the big challenges today? Well, when I first started, I was I, I was pushing a lawnmower around and, and I had an, I had a level of ambition, I mean, which is to do with my research project that I that I, I want to do. Because I did my PhD and I came across this this ideas of of the way society was structured, which had major implications. But even though it's a history PhD, they're all based on on like the biological sciences and so forth. And so I I, I'd failed to become an academic, which was my purpose. So what I had to do was to become rich enough to be able to fund my own research, which sounds pretty crazy when you're deeply in debt and broken, got no skills and anything else, but that's what my idea was. So I had this, this goal to be successful, financially successful. I had to become successful. And I really didn't have a clue to how to go about it. I mean, the mind business was something that I'd never really thought of as being the avenue. I kept on looking for different kinds of areas. I, I looked at, at um, I opened a mower shop at one time, a computer shop. I tried a holiday resort type thing, which cost me a fortune. Um, kept on trying different things and this mowing business just puddled along. I didn't really see the potential to it for a long time. Even after the start of the franchise, I never really understood how good it could be. So for a start, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was going. And, and, and I had major, as I said, I major problems in, I started off. I started off actually mowing lawns, and it was it was really what happened was really an accident um, that I I decided that I needed to complete my PhD because I actually hadn't got knocked back. It was just too radical, too difficult. They'd knocked me back, so I was out there basically having failed at everything, failed at my PhD, failed at my academic career, and I was out there mowing lawns. And then my supervisor actually contacted me, and she said, "Listen, if you resubmit the thesis." you can, you, you should be able to get your PhD. They just don't like the, your, 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 the way you've written part of it. So I, I thought, well, I've, I've spent like 10 years doing this thing. I might as well at least get it, even if it's no use for me. So what I thought I had to do was to, was to get rid of the lawn mowing clients that I had and, and, you know, the regular clients. So I could have, I could get some money from selling the round. And I, um, and then I have the, the money and I also have the time to complete my PhD. So I actually, I put this on the market and I, and I tried, and then I've, after a few weeks, I got somebody who's interested in, they, and they took a while to go through. And all the time that this negotiation was going forward, new clients kept on coming in because I gave very good service. But by the time the guy came to buy the business, I'd actually had another business. I'd, I'd collected so many more clients. So I put them on the market and the same thing happened again. And so I put a third business on the market. And by the time I actually finished unloading my regular client base, I realized I could make a lot more money selling lawn mowing rounds than I ever did mowing lawns for myself. No, it's, it's a pretty remarkable story. It's, I, I find that so interesting. And it's, it, it sounds like the very classic, um, you know, tale of entrepreneurial success that um, it, it was part accident and part, you know, sheer hard work that you were out there. Well, I was very good with clients. That was the point. I always, always pick up. I, I go to a client. I, still today, I have this, this, this technique um, when I try and teach people about how you cut long grass clean, you can go into grass that's up to a meter high and you can cut it and pick it up. And my franchisees, most of them can't do that. So I've done a video to try and show them. And I put people there. I said, you've got to do this. Don't just knock the grass over. Clients don't like it. So I was very good at what I did. I one of the first contractors in Australia, even as a student, have a brush cutter because I could do the edges so well. So it was that, that combination. And then 
I discovered this business about selling lawn mowing rounds. Yeah, yeah, and and there you go. The rest is history, as they say. Yes, well, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was a very very little beginning. See, people often think that you have one great idea. It's not that at all. It's it's ten thousand little ideas that actually make the difference. It's every day. What can I do today to do better? And and look, the idea of franchising lawn mowing wasn't even mine. VIP was doing it very successfully. They had 250 franchises when I started. It wasn't, it wasn't clever at all in a sense. The difference is in the way that I did it. And, and then thinking about um, more recently and, and up to today, what are the biggest challenges you face now with, with the day-to-day running of things? <laughs> well, you've got strange... One of our biggest challenges we've got now is that we have the demand for our services is vastly uprunning our ability to provide them. Um, our, our, we're something like 30% of our leads are currently unserviced and we, we're growing. We're doing very well. Actually, we had a fantastic few months with the, with the crisis, but, but almost the, the, the demand's gone out of control. It, it's very difficult. We actually teach our franchisees to quote high too. We do not try to be cheap. In fact, at the beginning of, in my first training talk, I actually kept on a really hit. Don't compete on price. Look at the opposition and put at least 10, 15% on top. And, and your pricing. So, but we still have this extraordinary surge in, in work. And I think that the main reason for that is because the systems of customer service we put in place, which have become more and more rigorous with time. See, about three years ago, we started doing surveys and then feeding back to franchisees with their surveys and complaints and so forth. And that's had a huge effect on customer service. And, and in terms of actually your approach to tackling problems, you mentioned that one of the most important things is to is to look at yourself first. What could you be doing better? Um, mm. Is is that your kind of go to your general um, approach? Is that what you'd recommend to everyone, or are there any other strategies for for dealing with problems in business? Um, and thinking specifically of young people who this podcast is aimed at, who might be trying to get a start in business, um, are there any strategies other than that for you know how they can address problems as they run into them? Look, there's all kinds of um one of the things that I would say to anybody, to any young person starting in business is, is you're going to get a very distorted idea of what business is about from looking at the media. Everything's about computers and IT and, and um, most entrepreneurs don't actually start by being Bill Gates or, or, or Steve Jobs. It, that's a very untypical way of getting going. Um, if you want to do that kind of stuff, you're really going to work for some big company. Most entrepreneurs are people more like me and I'm better known than most, but there's a, there's a book called the millionaire next door, which is about the typical American millionaire and they are not tech gurus and they are not management people. They're actually cleaners and gardeners and, and, and builders, people like that handymen who actually go out to the, the manual physical work and people have today have a, they despise manual work. It's, I want to go to university. I want to do an arts degree and most of which are complete wasted time as far as I'm concerned. And I should know I did one, but they, but they, 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 they ignore what's, what's around them. The, 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 the everyday opportunities around them. There is a, there is a hunger in the, in the Australian community for good service and, and there's not nearly enough people to provide it. And if you can do that, so I, I just reckon the manual trades is the way to go. I, I really think the opportunities there are so much greater. I know any number of people who started with me with nothing are now incredibly rich. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm proud of that too. Even people who are no longer with me actually, who have gone off to other things. 
yeah, I, w- I wanted to ask you about um, about the franchisees um, of Jim's group. Are, are there many young people in there? No, all ages. Yeah, um, it varies. Look, I've, we had a guy who was um, 78 who just finished up um, just recently, and he says he more more money mowing lawns in his 70s than he ever had as a manager in, <laughs> in his younger life. So, yeah. And then you've got, you you go. got young Turks in their early 20s. Um, we're a little bit cautious with anybody under the age of 25 and single. The one requirement we have is they find their own money. They don't get it from parents or something. So young is is a danger point, but really they go all the way through. It, it's it's a, it's a it's an opportunity for everybody. It really is. It's it's so it's really not that difficult. I mean, look, I don't know. Sometimes this interview goes all over the place, but I'm not. I have to emphasize how bad I am at so many things and how many stupid mistakes I've made over the years. Now, you know, I, I mean, just a lot of things too. I tend to rush off into all kinds of ventures without, without checking first. I, I'm, I'm lazy about the, about the detail of things. Um, I, I, I'm poor in my judgment of people. I've picked so many wrong people you wouldn't believe. And yet if an idiot like me can be successful, then surely you can. I mean, it's not, it's not that difficult. You know, I actually, I'll tell you what, if you're really interested in business and you're talking to young people now or any people at all, I don't care how young or old they are, I'm 68 and I don't consider myself old, at least not in thinking terms, but I really suggest you do a lot of reading. Um, there's this wonderful book called Every Customer a Fan, which I wrote, which I recommend to anybody who wants to understand how you start from nothing in this country. But... Um, I would recommend business books about anybody. I read Behind the Arches about McDonald's. Very, very interesting book about how they did it. And 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 Ray Kroc was a very obsessional individual. I can really speak to him. He's the guy that, that would go into a, in the into a parking spot of McDonald's. He'd pick up the trash from the like all the rappers and he'd go and dump it on the manager's desk. He'd be furious. He said, "How can you let this happen?" It was that emotional quality service cleanliness type of thing. He 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 had that. I, another book I would really recommend to anybody who's interested in being successful in life in any way is Stephen Covey's book, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, it sounds like a health self-help manual, but it's, it's, a lot of it's about character, about, about ethics, about, about begin with the end in mind. Look at your, your fundamentals of who you are and what you want to achieve. And it's about being successful as an individual, as a as a parent or, or, or as a friend or anybody. It's, it's, it's a wonderful book. My daughter just recommended, I only just read it a few months ago and my daughter recommended it. She said, you've got, Dad, you've got to read this thing because it's, it's what you've been always talking about. And, and so kind of what you're saying, I guess, is it doesn't, despite any flaws you may have, um, as long as you're focused on, on the customer satisfaction and uh, you're, you know how to, how to do what you're doing well, and relentlessly, um, relentlessly self-critical. What can yeah. I do better? The, the, the biggest thing is who you blame. If something has gone wrong, okay, even if somebody else has let you down, okay, why did I let that person let me down? What could I have done differently? How do I do it again? I reckon I've learned more about business in the past couple of years, largely from my wife, actually, who's got extraordinary skills in certain areas than I have in any previous time in the past in terms of the way we approach things. Even just this last week, I've completely recast my research project, the way we're doing it, the way we're handling it. I just realized it's all wrong. What I've been doing is all wrong. and We're changing it all. And, and new ideas, everything's got to be, you just got to look at yourself and say, you know, what can I do better? 
what's gone wrong? Never be satisfied. Nothing's good enough. I mean, our customer service is way better than it has been a few years ago. But, you know, every day I personally go through every poor ranked survey, every single one, and look at it and try and figure out what can we do? What can we do? And we're doing things with software that's going to fix it. I reckon we can, we can more than halve the number of complaints with the right kind of systems and procedures. Yeah. So is there any advice you'd give young people who are thinking of starting a business? So w- with all that in mind about being relentlessly self-critical and you know, making sure that you go into what you're doing, that, that you're, you can do what you're going in to do, um, and, and you know, by the sounds of things, you, you want to be quite hardworking and diligent and, and focused on customer service. Um, is, are there any other practical tips you'd give young people who are, who are trying to get started? You know, if they're thinking about um, what they can do or how to build up a business, um, how to, you know, generate leads or, or think of if they need people to invest in them um, or, or even if they need a mentor of some kind. Is there any advice you would give to young people specifically? Look, you've got to you've got to have a, a, a way forward. You've got to, you've got to have an avenue. Uh, I'd say look around you. I, I really I know I'm, I'm a broken record, but I really do believe that the service industry is the way to go. I mean, you talk about finding people to back you. Uh, I get people all the time coming forward with these great ideas, and they want me to put money into it because they're so convinced. And I say, well, that's not the way to do it. Start something and then show it's successful, and then come to me and I'll help you to franchise it, maybe. I get that all the time and, and I don't mind it because my, I'm, I'm easy to contact. Um, but you just got to look around you at something that's fairly prosaic. A lot of people are successful at things they used to do as a student and they did as part-time. They were delivering pizza, so they started a pizza joint or something like that. That's a very common sort of – so look, look, just look for anything at all that you reckon you can do. Look at something you enjoy doing. It's not a coincidence that I – that I started the mowing business because I really love being outside. I love gardens. I love trees. It's just my nature. I, I don't like being cooped up. Mm. You'd be surprised how much of my life I do spend outside. If I'm talking <laughs> yeah. to somebody, I'm actually out there working on my farm or doing something while I'm talking to them. In, in. So it's do something, find something you enjoy doing and then just look at it and say, how can I do it better? And, and I, I suppose, you know, the other thing too is that if you if you start with something that's a service-based industry, then then you could be your own boss very very easily and quickly. But start part time, like I did, just doing something at the weekends, for example, um, and just relentlessly read up everything you can. Um, talking books are a wonderful a wonderful source of ideas. I, I would listen to a talking book at least once a week. I usually read about or listen to a couple of books a week. So just all the time be listening, 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 hearing new ideas and things and looking at what you're doing and say, how can I do it better? How can I do it better? How can I improve it? Start with little things, the humble. One of the greatest, most underrated virtues there is, is humility. People think you've got to be, you've got to be brash and you've got to be confident and you've got to be arrogant and stuff like that. I don't, I don't see that. I don't see that as success at all. People that act like that don't seem to do very well. You've got to be, just, just listen, listen to everybody, listen to your clients. What do they want? What, what do they think you could have done better? If a client is not happy, what could I have done different? Don't just blame the client. Did I not explain it right? Did I not understand it? What, what about them didn't I know? And even things like, you know, I used to going from, from house to house when I was mowing lawns, I, I actually had a, I, I invented a word called zootle, right. which is simply a shorthand way of describing how you, how you navigate amongst, amongst um, suburban streets. 
Now, that's just a tiny example. But what that meant, I didn't have to spend 30 seconds or a minute looking at my street directory. Thousands of tiny little ideas. How can you start with something, find out something that you want to do and, you know, try and do it better? And, and it's like you said earlier in the show, it's not one thing that you get right and you succeed at. It's, it's you know, thousands of tiny things that, that, that you've got to get right. Look, it's a, this is a little bit self-serving too, but I, I can suggest too that the um, franchising is not a bad way to start. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to end up there, but... I mean, look, to give you some fairly basic statistics, and this is this is reasonably well done. If you have a look, and go online and have a look at the failure rate of businesses like ours, cleaning gardening businesses, mm. it's actually very high. It's between 90 and 95% have gone in their first year. It's very, very high. The reason I succeeded is because I started as a student very slowly, so I knew what I was doing. Now, our own statistics show that between 105 and 11% of our people fail in their first year. And by fail, I include somebody who sells or who offered a better job and stuff. So it's a very, very much lower. And that's that's characteristic of how franchises work because what you do is you go into a system where you get taught how to do things and you get taught a system to follow. Having, having said that, can I also say that you've got to be incredibly careful in which system you go into and there's only one way to check it out. Forget about the, the flashy videos and the sales presentation, get a list of all the current franchisees and ring as far as possible every one of them and ask them what they think. Well, I think that's great advice for, for young people. Um, you know, you, and, and I've thought that before about the franchise model is you go in there and the structure is already there, the products are already there, um, and, and there's a bit of brand recognition as well. So it can it can cut out some of those things with starting a business, but still expose you to, you've got, you know, You've got what mentors all over the place. You've got, yeah, everything. Yeah. you've got training, you've got somebody in our system. And I think most systems you have a, a franchisor. And now our, our food option is to ring at least once a month and preferably once a week, especially for new guys and just talk to them what you're doing and how you're going and what happened here and why did this customer reject? Just constantly, constantly training and then meetings. Very important meeting at least every six, about every six weeks where you find this ideal, get together with other people. And then you learn from the, not just from the talk, but from the informal interactions. And then you, and they talk after hours and stuff. There's a very strong family feeling about it when it does well. That's a very powerful, that's a very powerful way to succeed. And, and look, I, I know quite a few people who are, like like Andrew McIntosh, one of my first franchisees, he actually bought a lawn mowing round off me. And then when I started the franchise, I said to him, listen, come and be a franchisee. I'll give you the franchise. And he became a trainer, which was a very important role. And then he became a franchisor, took over a certain area. He started the fencing division. He's, he, he's gone decades ago, but he's he's done incredible. He's, he owns a whole stack of nursery nurseries and he's a property developer. And he's, he's had a wonderful career. But that was from pushing a lawn mowing round. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um. Are there any areas of, of the gyms franchise um, or, or the gyms group where you don't have a business but you think you should? One of the things that I've discovered, and, and this is a hard one lesson, even over the past few years, is don't go into things you don't understand. Right. And I've made so, lost so much money in, in, in doing things that I shouldn't have done, like trade exchanges, like a factory to make fiberglass trailers, like a institute to teach psychology. I got involved in a whole stack of things, basically all of which lost me a fortune. So <laughs> one of the things in gyms, we understand 
it, it sounds like we do everything, but in actual fact, we're very narrowly focused. We're actually focused on services where somebody contacts us and says, come out and do this job. Not site-based, not food, not fast food, nothing like that. Just very narrowly focused. So I could think of at least a hundred different divisions we'd love to be part of, we'd love to do. Um, just somebody came to me just last week and says, one of my franchisors says, I want to do Jim's laundry. Fantastic. A laundry system where you go to somebody's place, pick up their stuff, take it home. Very much appeals to that and women. You know what I'd love to do? I'd really love to do. We had a bit of a trial is Jim's poop removal, dog poop removal, going into people's houses. They had a system worked out with a, with a little, I'd love to do that. That would be a fantastic one. You just need someone to drive it. Jim's doctors, for example, uh, Jim's um, anything to do with hearing or optometrists would be great. Health related ones we'd like to see. Jim's physiotherapy, Jim's chiropractic, all the health ones. There, there are there are enormous, enormous numbers. Uh, I could sit down and do a hundred, but we'd love to do all we lack. It's not ideas we lack. Ideas are cheap. People think ideas are everything. No, they're nothing. It's 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 the right people to drive it. And if you look at the great divisions within gyms, they're the people who've got great, got great drivers, great people like Haydar, like Sharon Connell of Dogwash. And Sharon's a wonderful story. She actually was a um, hospital administrator and she looked at the idea of, 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 of getting a cleaning franchise. This is a young, young woman, you know, uh, getting a cleaning franchise. And, and then she said, I'm not going to be a cleaner. I'm an administrator. I've got a white collar job. And she got hold of a copy of my book and she said, I love this book. I love this ethics. So she went, she bought a cleaning uh, franchise, became a franchisor, became an incredibly successful franchisor. I then came to her and I said, listen, can you take the dog watch division? I'm going to give it to you. She had, had 65 franchisees, now got 155 or something like that. She is an amazing, amazing lady. And you just listen to her and you're in awe of it. It's the pe people is everything. A division can be a failure until the right person moves in and then it becomes a howling success. So if you weren't running Jim's group, what do you think you'd be doing? It's hard to imagine um, where I could have gone. I was never going to be successful as an academic. My ideas are too wildly unconventional. If I'm successful, this will change the world. This will get me a, a Nobel Prize or something like that because it's so wildly revolutionary. And I've got, I've got a whole series of experiments being done now. I've got some great researchers working on this process and they've discovered so many things. And so, I mean, that's what I intended to do. But what I didn't realise when I did this, I was so naive. I thought people would look at a great idea and then they'd support it, but they just, there was no possible way. One of the comments on my PhD thesis was that if this was a magnum opus at the end of a distinguished career, then yeah, maybe we'd listen to it. But this guy, who is he? He's telling us, every, you know, ask any question about history, about why wars take place, about why economies develop. I've got totally different answers. And I'm going to prove it's right by developing treatments and systems and so forth. But you, you've, how could I have succeeded as an academic? That was my aim. And I really almost had to go into business because I'm too ornery to work for anybody else. And, and gardening is kind of obvious. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine cleaning carpets. I, I just couldn't be inside. Hard to say. And, could have, and, I could have done a lot better if I'd have made a lot less mistakes, uh, Kian, I can tell you that. Yeah. And and if you had your time again and you could go back and change just one thing, what, what do you think you'd do differently? Well, there is one change. I would never change anything that's more than um, 11 and a half years ago because if I had, I wouldn't have my children. And that's something you never, ever, ever regret. My youngest son is 11 years old, so that's the limit. But... 
Um, I really wish I hadn't wasted so much time in, in, in doing these other stupid side ventures. I should have stuck to what I know, understand, and just work to improve that. The, the grass is always greener. People look at different businesses and they think, oh, that's got so exciting. There's so much money. And they don't understand what it's about. It's not the business idea. It's the, it's the nitty gritty of how you do it. People, people got to become expert at what they do. And I think one of the greatest pities in the modern world is people change jobs all the time. They're always changing something. Find something you've got a passion for and just become a really big expert and become better and better and better. And the, best, the best avenue is often where you are, somewhere where you are, where, where you're working now. What do you know? What do you know about? What's your experience? And how could I do it better? You're working for somebody else doing something. Okay, what is that teaching me? What could I do? part-time maybe start part-time don't be scared of that work weekends work nights well i think that's a great note to finish up on so jim penman thanks for coming on tell us your story all right you're welcome all right i'll let you get back outside i know you said you hate being cooped up all right go on you king